and welcome to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, coming to you from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And tonight I've got a special guest. Um, you know, the idea with this podcast is definitely to have ex- other people who have extraordinary lives in whatever uh, avenue that may be on board so that they could share with us um, how how they live their lifestyle and how they've chosen to uh, to get the most out of life. I think our millennial generation in particular has seen that uh, the baby boomers of yore um, were very hardworking and they definitely set a great foundation uh, to to us being able to live a very different lifestyle. Um, and uh, and my guest tonight has been a businessman, entrepreneur, um, mountaineer, uh, traveler, and now uh, tourism uh, operator with myself, taking people to the most extraordinary places at the far reaches of the planet and doing things a little bit differently. Um, so I'm excited to, to chat with Andrew tonight. His uh, Instagram is High Mountain Life. And uh, while he may have a very English sounding name, it is, uh, he is Mexican as well. <laughs> so I'll let him explain how that is. And then you'll hear him speak English and be like, you're not Mexican, you sound like a Brit. But, um, but really, really interesting. Uh, very excited to have become his friend and his business partner in uh, taking people on extraordinary uh, adventures. And, uh, and I think the key to that for us is doing things a little differently. But I'm going to begin, um, with, uh, with Andrew tonight. And, uh, and I, I first I'm gonna say, hello, Andrew. Are you out there in the ether somewhere? You can click the unmute and, uh, join us on Colin app. That's the really cool thing about this app is that you are able um, to simply uh, call in and interact with people. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Roberto, can you hear me? I can indeed. Where are you in the world? I'm actually uh, sitting in Mexico City, so a small town you might know. (laughs) (laughs) With the population of Canada or more. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, 25 million and counting. Oh, my. And uh, so thank you for coming on the show, Andrew. You know, I'm very excited to to be running uh, Adventures Done Right with you and and taking people on extraordinary adventures. Um, But you have yourself a very uh, interesting life, and I still have no idea how a Mexican became a mountaineer, but I'll let you uh, tell me a bit about that. But first, so my first question is, is is what's your background? Like, how does that, uh, because you're Mexican, British... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it does get a little bit confusing, but first, first of all, thanks for the invite. I've, uh, I've definitely heard a couple of your podcasts and, you know, I think this is a, this is a great platform to, to reaching out and sort of sharing everything that we've got going on. So thanks again for the invite. Um, yeah, I'm, um, I am Mexican, uh, though I wasn't born in Mexico, but I am proud to say that I am Mexican because I've been mm-hmm. living in Mexico for pretty much all my life. My parents moved to Mexico when I was about four years old. Yeah, um, and I've lived here pretty much ever since. Though I have traveled around the world and I have lived and worked in different countries, but you know, fate uh, brought me back here. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely consider Mexico my home, and I've got my Mexican passport now. Um, and you have a perfect English, so that's a British mum. <laughs> I yeah, my my mom is English. Um, my father's Italian, and they met in Africa. So, oh. and then they moved from Africa to Mexico. So that's, that's sort of like the short story. Right. Um, but I don't and think I have you... a British accent. I think I've, 
you know, when I go back to the UK, I, I do pick it up after a couple of days. But yeah, I think no, being no, over very... on this side of the of the pond, I'm, I, I sound more American. I think De- definitely, <laughs> I, I agree with that. But what I mean to say, it's like it's a perfect English. Uh, like it doesn't sound. Uh, at all, like you'd be a Mexican that has English as a second language and lead it to your first, because I imagine you spoke it at home while yep. living in Mexico. And so yes. English was the primary language at home and Spanish is the the rest of life language. Right, right. Yeah, I was brought up, uh, my mother always spoke to me in English. My father always spoke to me in Italian. And being brought up in Mexico, you know, everything was, was or is in Spanish. So, yeah, that was, uh, I was very fortunate. And how the hell does a Mexican become a mountaineer? <laughs> I ask you, how does a Mexican you know, end up living in Western Canada? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> hey, but I, I was born over here. I didn't. I okay, didn't okay, okay. <laughs> that's, um, true, that's true. So, so what do you do? You start mountaineering uh, in Mexico? Are there are there mountains in Mexico? So yeah, the answer is yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely a lot of well. They're not as many mountains as you would have in Canada or Europe, et cetera, but you do have some pretty uh, high mountains, very close to Mexico City, in fact. Um, Iztaccíhuatl and Popo uh, are two volcanoes uh, that are here, uh, and they are over 5,000 meters in height. And then there's Pico de Rizaba, which is 5,600. So, yeah, you, 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 there are a couple of, of big ones here. Uh, I mean, big ones considered, you know, for this side of the world, when you put a comparison to Himalayas, obviously, it might look small, right? But, no, no. But they're they're impressive. They're solid mountains, and and you seem to spend a lot of time in them when you are back in Mexico City. Because every weekend you're guiding trips on like some wicked adventures that I hope to be part of one day. <laughs> but uh, so you climb you climb Pico de Orizaba with people on the weekends sometimes, no? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm out there several times a year, uh, or several times a month, in fact. Um, you know, because they're, they're not that far. It's, it's about a three hour drive to East or maybe less and about a four and a half hour drive or so to, to Pico de Orizaba. So they're really so, in my backyard. So how long does Pico de Orizaba take for you to summit of, on the day? Uh, so with, people, yeah. people can be summited quite fast if you are previously acclimatized. So if, you know, for most people living in Mexico City and most people who work during the during the week and want to go to Pico de Saba for the weekend, they can do so. And you can summit in two days. It is a little bit strenuous. You know, you're, you're kind of, you know, uh, pulling the rope a little bit tight on those two days just because of the altitude and, you know, the, the how fast you have to go. But right. ideally three, four days. And then you get people that come from abroad because it is quite a quite a um, sought after mountain in Mexico. Yeah. So you get people from the States or, or Canada or Europe, et cetera. And, you know, obviously you need more time to acclimatize. So sometimes it can be, you know, like a four or five day thing. Right. Oh, wicked. And canyoneering as well? Yes, there are plenty of canyons in Mexico, um, you know, in Veracruz, down in Chiapas, in Hidalgo, um, up and around Chihuahua. So, yeah, there's plenty. The geography of Mexico is, is, is really unique. Um, so there's, there's plenty to do. And I've seen these videos of your canyoneering. I'm sure they're up on your Instagram as well. So people can head to High Mountain Life on Instagram um, to see some of these wild adventures that Andrew goes on. And I can now say that uh, the man will be in a tent with me at 70 kilometers an hour and uh, 
we'll still be laughing. And uh, that's a great thing because that means you'll get along just fine in, uh, in rough times. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, but, uh, but so you've done, aside from these uh, mountains in Mexico, you've actually done some pretty serious mountains like Denali. I, you know, I've, I've done some light climbing in my days and Denali is, is like a mountain that five go and uh, maybe three or four come back. Um, isn't, isn't it a very, very dangerous uh, mountains when it comes to mountaineering? Well, I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a fantastic mountain and an, an amazing experience. I would definitely recommend it to anybody, you know, wanting to experience some, some serious three-week, three- or four-week sort of winter mountaineering. Um, it's a fascinating mountain, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it does have a certain element of, of, of risk. Mm-hmm. But I think you can you can you know take certain precautions if if you plan it uh, accordingly and you're organized and you know disciplined. Right, uh, like organized. I, I know all about organized. <laughs> yeah. well, for this podcast, I think you're more organized than I was. <laughs> you threw me a curveball today. <laughs> right. Hey. Well, thank you for for joining on short notice. Yeah. Well, that's the. I think that's the awesome part of it. Is just that. Like going with the flow, and uh, and I think you're you're very experienced in the things that you do. Uh, so it's very easy to talk about things that you know, um, you, you know, uh, and that's that's yeah. I find that super neat. So you've done Denali. You were rejected once or, uh, from reaching the summit, or did you make it? Was it twice? Yeah, did you no. go? Yeah, I've been I've been twice now to Denali. Uh, I was there three years ago. So so we're just coming into 2022. So now I'm getting the years mixed up because. Uh, but I think it was 2019 I was there mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, with a climbing partner, it was just a two-man team and uh, we did really well considering it was only two of us. Most most mm-hmm. teams on Denali are usually, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people. Right. So you because went you with, without a guide on this one. You you're basically just went yeah. with a buddy, as we, we went say. went solo. Yes, yeah. Correct. Um, we went solo. We organized everything by ourselves. I mean, the food, the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we were on the mountain for three and a half weeks, more or less. And, and um, yeah, didn't you have some like wonderful weather that you told me about, like lovely blue skies? And <laughs> so, yeah, the Denali is definitely well known for its terrible, terrible weather, um, <laughs> which can come and go very fast. And you can have literally like three, four different weather uh, forecasts going on at the same time on different but, parts of the mountain. It's just such a right. big mountain that you can have, you know, uh, a sunny summit to be yeah. truthful. And then about, you know, 4,000 feet below, there's a terrible storm going on. So, and it changes constantly. And yes, we, we were stuck for a week in our tent. <laughs> high camp, which, uh, I pity you. <laughs> high camp is one of those places you just don't want to yeah. be in bad weather. I mean, even in good weather, it's one of those places, it's your stepping stone for the summit of Denali. And yeah. you, you get there, probably about after two and a half weeks of climbing. So you're, you're pretty tired by then. And it's really a place you want to make sure that you do have good weather coming forward so you can prepare for the summit. Are, are um, you on a ri- Were you on a ridge on advanced camp or are you in like uh, some type of like bivy uh, or is it just a two man tent on like, uh, do you have, do you have to put carabiners and strap it to the tent into a snow stake no. or, right. or so, or, uh, high camp on Denali is actually not that exposed as far as a ridge. It's actually quite a flat spot. Yeah. Um, you do have to climb up a, a fantastic ridge to get to high camp, okay. uh, which is a beautiful climb and very exposed. But then once you actually, you know, you come into the, there's a small plateau uh, up at high camp 
And uh, you really have to build what, what's what's tough about high camp is you have to build a really good uh, shelter. So um, a very good snow and ice wall that 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 protects your tent from from the high winds. Right. Um, yeah. Until the ice until the wind turns from the other direction and you're like those four <laughs> hours of shoveling a wall of snow is suddenly futile. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. But I appreciated being in a tent in a windy tent with you because you had the windy side, so you were just kind of like holding the tent, and so it was it's more comfortable for me. I really like it's great. You all, I, I think you you can always have the windy side. I really don't mind. You did a great job there. It didn't seem to bother I think, I think you. We're gonna end up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, we're I had a tent flapping in my face for four hours that night. So, how do you get to Denali? Like, for a person that's like never gone climbing or doesn't know that the Denali is the tallest mountain in uh, the extended USA, isn't it? Like, I, it, I know Mount. The, yeah, it's the highest mountain in North America. Right. Um, and it is. It lies only two hundred kilometers from the polar circle. Okay. So you fly, ideally internationally, you fly to Anchorage, and then from Anchorage, you drive up or you take a train ride up to a small town called Talkeetna. Yeah. Usually you spend one or two days in Talkeetna registering with the national park, and then you schedule your pilot and flight out, which are bush planes, which basically would have skis on them. Yeah. They fly you out to the glacier. And this is really like a waiting game. Sometimes you can be very lucky as far as, you know, uh, signing up for the next flight and getting right. your gear registered and weighed and et cetera. And you're on the flight, you know, maybe that afternoon. But there have been cases where people literally are waiting a week just to get out onto the mountain because the weather's so bad and the bush pilots will, you know, they can't, yeah. they can't fly. And yeah, the, it's so. like, would you, would you like to die? <laughs> no, thank you. I'll wait a few more days. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, you have to really take into consideration uh, at least four weeks, four to five weeks, I would say, if you want to, if you want to have a chance at climbing and, and, and summiting Denali just because of the weather. Uh, more than anything else. So, so it's spectacular accomplishment in itself. I think I've seen also that you've done uh, Toblerone, Zermatt uh, as well, though. Yes, very different mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Quite the opposite from Denali. But, so, uh, but yes, so three years ago, we, we got turned back from Denali with, because of the bad weather. And then I yeah. went back again this last year and finally did Summit, which was, which was fantastic and, and had a great team, which makes all the difference also. Right, you got to know your tent mate quite well, quite well, no? Oh yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, but you told me you had a you you were had a great like climbing partner guy in in. I've been very lucky. I had a great climbing partner, you know, three years ago when we went for the first time. He couldn't make it back on this on this other trip, and then I had right. a, a great team. I went with a few more people on this trip. It was a six six person uh, expedition. Yeah, um, and that was fantastic. We we just had a great time. Uh, and a little bit better weather. We did have some days of bad weather, obviously, but all in all, I think it was uh, it was a great success. So, not to be dramatic, but most people don't know that most mountaineering and climbing accidents happen on the way down, not on the way up to summit. Because you get to summit and you've spent all your energy of like, I will reach the summit, and you get this superhuman strength, um, and you and you get there. And then after, I find that when you get to the summit, whether it's on a mountain or a big sea kayak crossing or something like that, you de your body suddenly like decompresses for a moment of like, okay, I don't need to be pumping this much adrenaline for the moment. Let's take a pause. 
unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's when climbers get chilled because you're just standing around the summit, even though you're wearing these like massive uh, minus 40 uh, jackets. And then on the descent down, it's when you're at your, your most tired. So it's when accidents tend to happen. It's also when you're at your least energy, because obviously you've been uh, been coming up. Going down, yes, definitely is a lot easier. But a misstep, as Andrew knows, is is a terrible thing. Like, that's one thing I appreciate about the mountaineer is that you always have to put your foot in the right spot and make sure that the way you are setting your foot, you will not fall. And I think the term sure-footed uh, in the mountains is something that's very important. Like I, I rarely stumble per se. And, uh, and I know a lot of people that you see them walking around, I think, and they're, and they're like clumsy and, and all over the place. And I think it comes from like, even from childhood, maybe because my kids are always like clambering over rocks and, and stones. So they become quite sure-footed, but, uh, but yep. the, I, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons we, we want our kids climbing jungle gyms and doing that because they, they learn to be sure-footed and, uh, and it could save your life as a, as a climber and mountaineer. So I respect a man that oh, has, absolutely. yeah. And with the, with the weight on your pack too, it's a whole different ball game. A lot of people, when, when they look at a mountaineer, they don't appreciate that you sometimes have 50 pounds on your back and any, any momentum movement from a swing to the side or a slipped foot and a, a bit of a swing uh, gives a lot of <laughs> movement and gravity suddenly uh, uh, throws you. So it's a lot even trickier to be climbing with, with a heavier pack uh, than none. And I think a lot of people that don't climb don't appreciate uh, that as much. So congratulations on doing Denali. That's that's a, a big accomplishment. What, is there anything that you're, you're thinking, like, what's the next one? Are you like a, a Everest type of guy? Like, well, what's, you know, now that I've done this one, uh, definitely, there, there, there are lots of mountains out there that I'd love to climb. Um, Everest is on the list, absolutely. Uh, but before Everest, uh, I'd like to go down to Aconcagua, probably yeah. next year, yeah. uh, which is the highest mountain down in South America. And then uh, probably maybe after that, we'll, we'll, we'll give Everest a shot. Wait, uh, wait, but Mount wait, Vincent down in Antarctica, which I'd love to get down to. Wait, sorry, where are you squeezing this? Because I think we're on a trip like every month for the next like two years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to move a couple of things around. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really, that's really awesome. Like, I don't, you know, I think in my old days I used to say, oh yeah, I would do Everest, but just seeing the traffic up there doesn't, uh, motivate me as much i guess there's different routes you can take and try and hit different windows of time but uh but it is a, a feat in yeah. itself so you don't get hit by altitude sickness you're kind of well you live at altitude already with mexico city right yeah we're about 2300 meters here in mexico city so it's uh it definitely helps but no i've been i've been very lucky i've been very lucky with not getting altitude sickness and i've been very lucky and not getting seasick but i love sailing right. which is one of the other hobbies and so uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's something must be just genetic or something because there, there's really very, it's very difficult to forecast when you've got a group of people going up to a mountain. It's very difficult to forecast who's going to get mountain sickness or not. Uh, if right. you're all coming from the same sort of background, obviously there are higher probabilities if you're quickly coming from sea level to a high, high altitude, you probably yeah. will feel it. And I have felt it, you know, when, when that happens. But I climatize very quickly, so um, yeah, I guess I'm just lucky. <laughs> so, uh, any tips for someone that would want to get into mountaineering that's a hiker per se? Tips as far as um, like how to get into the sport? Or? No, uh, tips okay. in how to get into the sport. Yeah. 
Well, I guess the first tip is try and live somewhere close to mountains. Yeah, <laughs> that would be for the sure. first thing. Uh, but um, you have to really be patient. You know, it's it's a, it's a beautiful sport, but it takes a long time to get to these places. In the sense yeah. that you know, uh, so you just just like any other sport, you have to work towards it. You know, slowly progress, uh, get involved with you know people who are in and already in the sport. Learn from them. Take some courses. And, and slowly start to, you know, increase your, your, um, your experience. You know, I always say yeah. that we've got in life, uh, we're born in life with a, with a bucket full of luck and a, yeah. and a bucket empty of experience. And the idea is that you should fill the, the bucket with experience faster than the one of luck, yeah. you know, uh, empties out. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, just as getting, getting as many hours as you can outdoors and experiencing bad weather you know i think a lot of people yeah. tend to go to the mountains when it's beautiful weather and that's great and and and, and, it's, right. and i love good weather but you have to be prepared for when the weather turns so part of the experiences is definitely get out there when it's raining when it's snowing when it's cold when it's windy yeah. and and mountain weather changes yeah. it changes all the time like like you said you could have different systems on the same mountain on different parts of the mountain or you could simply have four different weather systems push through on the same day and uh, yep. layering up and down for me is like key to keeping my body temperature right, um, because otherwise it, it could be quite uh, quite dangerous. So yeah. I'll jump into what's our trip coming up. Uh, so we have a business called Adventures Done Right, uh, guiding uh, people to unique destinations around the world. And uh, our next trip coming up is Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and we and on uh, February fourth uh, to sixteenth, uh, we will be in uh, climbing uh, trekking Kilimanjaro, um, which is also uh, the tallest mountain on the African continent. Yes, I believe. That's correct. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, and, and, it's and uh, yeah, yeah. How how many days? So, what's our uh, daily schedule kind of look like on the trek? So we'll be flying in, everybody arrives on the 4th of February, and on the 5th, we take some Jeeps to go and register at the uh, Kilimanjaro National Park, yeah. where our initial trek starts, and it's a fantastic trek, because it's seven days we're going to be in the mountain, and yeah. one of the advantages of climbing in Tanzania, like it is also in Mexico, Peru, Bolivia, many of these other countries, that you've got a lot of assistance in the sense that there's a lot of support on the mountain with porters. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very comfortable hike as far as weight wise. You really, you, you know, we, we're, we'll be carrying our day packs and then the rest of the team will be, you know, uh, moving up ahead of us to set up the camps, etc. Though having said that, it doesn't mean it's an easy mountain, you know, at, at 5,890 meters, it, it's a, it's a high one, you know, so yeah. seven days is a great itinerary because, you know, you start acclimatizing from day one. And every day we'll be hiking four to five hours with some fantastic views. And we'll be starting, you know, relatively low with some great weather. You know, I think we'll probably start in shorts, probably. Yeah. Shorts and, and, and a short sleeve T-shirt and, you know, sunblock, sunglasses and a hat. And, and progress up the, up the side of the mountain uh, all the way to the summit, you know, um, in, in seven days. So it, it's going to be a fantastic experience. We cold weather once we're up at the summit should be temperature wise around zero minus oh, yeah. five. There's like, 
there's there's a glacier up there so it does get cold it really does get cold it snows it gets iced over so you're definitely experiencing those seven days an extreme change in temperature i'm looking i'm looking down at my flip-flops that i'm wearing here in mexico you don't think those will do eh? right no (laughs) throwing those out uh, uh, I'm going to milk all the sun I can here before then. And then we go on a uh, African safari. That's right. You can't, you can't go to Africa and not have a safari. Right. So we're, we're ending on a very high note after we've come back down from Kili. And we've had a day. We actually have two nights to rest and sort of recover. Yeah. Uh, catch up with family, friends, etc. Because there's not much you know, uh, signal up on the mountain. And then, uh, yeah, our Land Rovers come and pick us up, and we go for three days, three nights of uh, of safari. We'll be visiting the Ngorogoro uh, crater, which is a fantastic crater that holds uh, a, a huge variety of wild animals. You know, from your your top five, you know, your your uh, yeah, the, lions, hyenas, the, uh, rhinos, the, the giraffes, elephants, yeah, giraffes, the whole lot, yeah. And uh, one of the nights we'll actually be glamping in the middle of uh, the Tarangiri National Park, which is also a fantastic experience. Uh, Looking out there at, at wild stars while hyenas stalk our camp. Lovely, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you'll be closer to the tent wall. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm leaving the peanut butter jar on your side. I think, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> um, and then we've got a trip to Iceland, April. Uh, uh, the, uh, 16th to 23rd. Yeah. That's right. And then, uh, this, this one, you know, we do some really unique stuff out there, uh, where yes, we take you to the spectacular waterfalls and the rivers and, uh, uh the unique must do, uh, places, but we also do wild things like swim with icebergs and jump into, uh, rivers, uh, wearing dry suits and, and things like that. So, so that's a really like special trip that, that I highly recommend. We're almost booked out for that one, but, uh, if you can grab the last few spots, I welcome you. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then we've got some incredible trips, uh, here in BC where we're going to be, uh, here in BC. I'm actually in Mexico at the moment, but home is BC. So, so I'm transporting for a moment and, uh, we, uh, heli biking. Uh, we'll be sea kayaking. Um, we've got lots of, lots of wonderful adventures coming up. So I'm really excited to be, uh, partnered with Andrew on this. And one of the, the unique things that we do is we create tons of, um, professional photos and videos for our, our guests so that when they do go home, uh, you know, they didn't really have to worry at all about creating, uh, their own content. And it's fun because, uh, one of the, the guests that's coming back, Sis, had, uh, from our last trip, he's like, dude, man, I had, you would take your GoPro and I would take my GoPro and I'd come back and be look at my picture and be like, meh, that's pretty cool. And you'd, I'd, you'd come back with the same like type of shot and be like, and I was like, what? Like how that's so different. And so that's what we know how to do. And so, um, so we give you like these wicked, wicked images. And I think in reality, we become friends with our guests because everyone's out on an adventure having a great time and we like to to push people a little bit on our adventures so that they truly experience a bit of type two fun because it's only as we push our boundaries as I think Andrew knows that we uh that we really become alive. Um Absolutely. Put, um I'm, and I'm uh, so looking forward to going back to Iceland. Yes, yes. Uh I think uh I think it's going to be a frequent 
uh, destination for sure. It's always uh, spectacular. And uh, you still have to stay at the Blue Lagoon Retreat, good sir. <laughs> yes, that's definitely on the list for the next one. I know you had a fantastic time there last time, so um, yes. I had to fly back, unfortunately. But yeah, this time definitely we'll be taking advantage of there. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, the neat aspects of our concept is that we don't only take people on the wild adventure that uh, like an 80 kilometer an hour tent, uh, for example, or kayaking amongst icebergs and paddleboarding amongst glaciers. Um, but we also like to balance life a little bit and uh, and have the luxury side of things uh, that adds to the unique experience. Because when I was out there, for example, I thought to myself, what's the coolest thing I could invite my mom to? And, uh, and it wasn't, I, I was trying not to think of myself. Like, I'm like, Ooh, what's the, the coolest thing I'd like to do is, well, I'd like to go jump off that waterfall that's in the middle of Iceland and take a helicopter there. And I thought, no, no, no. What's my, what, what would my mom want after seeing all this other stuff? And so we went to the Blue Lagoon Retreat Hotel for a night and, uh, it is unique and special and, and we'll likely be having it. Uh, we have, I, I think we have some guests that might be taking that option for the last day. Uh, to, to have that part of the trip. So, uh, so do, do reach out to us. Um, what's your email, Andrew? Um, you can contact me at highmountainexped at gmail.com. Or roberto at theexpeditioners.com. Um, but uh, because, and I jumped now into the organizational side of things, because Andrew is uh, much less organized than me. I recommend, no, <laughs> we, you know, I am organized chaos, more like just chaos. And, uh, and Andrew is a guy that like his, his North face bag has six more bags inside compartmentalizing everything. And uh, right. I'm, I think it's easier to describe with our hotel rooms, right? I think yeah. it's easy to identify <laughs> what side of the room is Roberto's and what side yeah. of the room is <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's almost like, like a comic <laughs> because it's like the polar opposite. <laughs> a hurricane, yes. But I do find humor that, you know, he has everything so perfectly organized. And when he cannot find something, that should be in the spot it should be. You're, you remind me of my dad because he's like, why the hell is the pen not in the pen spot? Who moved it? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's one of the cool things about this sort of this business relationship. But also, it's like, you know, opposites match. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if we were exactly the same, I think it would be kind of boring. So this, this definitely yeah. makes it exciting. <laughs> and, and we met uh, in a pretty unique, cool way, which is not so unique anymore these days. Uh, but we met online. What, what was the dating site called? I mean, what was the... <laughs> was it Tinder? <laughs> and, oh, I've, oh, I've been married since before Tinder. I never got to use it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, um, but what was I going to say? So... So I think that uh, that a really neat aspect also of our of our whole uh, adventures is that um, with this organizational side of yourself and with this artistic um, uh, hippie on my side, <laughs> it, it creates a really unique experience on the trips. And not only is it about uh, the adventure that we do with people, but it's also about getting to go on these adventures with us. Um, because I think one of the most important things about guiding people is making sure they have a wonderful time. And it comes down to the people that are there. And I think like, it's really neat that on the last trip uh, we all stayed in touch and kind of became friends. We've got people coming back on trips. Um, so yeah, so keep, keep a line into that and, uh, and hope you guys will, will follow Andrew on social media and myself, obviously uh, at the expeditioners and, uh, 
And thanks for coming uh, tonight to chat, Andrew. Um, I'm really excited at uh, 2022, and um, we've got to get the families together at, at well at some point. Your little ones. Uh, you've got two little ones. That's right. Yeah, four and yeah. a half and two and a half. And, uh, and definitely looking forward to taking them on on some of our adventures in in, in the future. Yeah. Maybe, hey, maybe we'll take uh, like dads and kids trip one day somewhere. I think that'd be pretty cool, even for like a, a short stint. Um, I think it's idea. a it's a great it's a great way to travel. You know, if if you can involve your kids in the whole adventure and outdoors and being in touch with nature, et cetera, it just just makes it so much so much fun to be able to share those moments. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah I thought you know you, you're a dad, I'm a dad, so we we know yeah. also you know the extent of you know how extreme or not the the, the adventures can be, and yeah. you know always taking into consideration the safety factor, which which is definitely important. And also being that uh, the way our, our relationship works, if I forget something, I know you'll have brought extra. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, no, yeah, very excited. We've got lots of trips coming up. We haven't put them all, all out yet, but in the next uh, week, we're hoping to, to get uh, the whole schedule out. So please stay tuned for that, uh, people. Again, thank you, Andrew, for, for coming to chat with me tonight. Really excited at our, at uh, seeing you in uh, what's almost like hey, fifteen pleasure, days. Man. Yeah, we'll be in in three weeks. We'll be uh, meeting up in Amsterdam Airport, and then we'll be taking our yep. flight down to uh, to Kilimanjaro. Yeah, I, it's awesome it's that be. Andrew knows my schedule because I don't know my schedule. So <laughs> it, it it works amazing, um, and uh, and that's and we'll, we should probably do a podcast from Tanzania as well. I think so. Oh, that would be very and, cool. and, yeah. and tell people uh, how how really it's it's possible to travel right now. It's safe. I don't think the borders are going to be closing anytime. The world's realized Omicron is everywhere. You got to get yourself vaccinated and uh, and have all your vaccines for a place like Africa. But it's travel is still doable. You know, I'm currently in in Mexico right now, and uh, soon I'll be in Africa, and then in Iceland again. And and I was just in Iceland some weeks ago. So uh, so feel free to ask us all the questions on on safety and and whatnot. And um, and there we go. So looking forward to, um, to those travels. Andrew, once again, thank you for coming to chat with me tonight and looking forward to a great year uh, together as well. And uh, Thanks, that's man. it, folks. Thanks, Andrew. Um, and I think that's, that's it, folks. So uh, we will call it tonight. Uh, and there we go. So uh, wishing everybody a good night. Uh, this expeditioner is out.